All right. Here we are with Stars Without Number Revised, Black Star, the introduction episode. I am Devin, the GM, and to my left, we have X playing Y. Nicole playing cartographer Hickson. And Peter as Gaius Kalis. Okay, listeners, so this is a Stars Without Number game. Uh, we're using the revised edition that was recently kickstarted. Technically, we're using one of the release candidates, but the game's basically done. And once again, Kevin Crawford has delivered uh, under the deadline again. <laughs> He's really good at that. So we thought, as a nice little side game, we'll run uh, this with the two players we have here, Peter and Nicole, when other people aren't available. It's a nice way to kind of fill time while everyone's getting their schedule moved around. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll give a brief breakdown of Stars Without Number. Yep. Do you want to, Peter? So, um, well, Stars Without Number, this is the basically second edition of the game. Uh, as we mentioned, it was kickstarted, it will soon be released. And it is a sci-fi game, where it's like, it's used the OCR system like Godbound, but it's much, much lower power scale here. We're dealing with, you know, people that live, you know, in space and, you know, have adventures. So like Star Wars and stuff, only, you know, less mund more mundane. Yeah. Farscape. It draws a lot of... Firefly. Firefly is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> Not Farscape. Uh, Stars Without Number draws a lot of its DNA from the old Traveler game, which is still produced. Traveler is a sci-fi game that kind of came out to be the, the kind uh, sort of alternative to D&D back in the before times. It also takes a lot of its DNA from Farscape... Or from Firefly. God, you fucking got me on it now, too. <laughs> um, but yeah. Based on OSR, it's a very low-to-the-ground game, and it's compatible with a lot of the AD&D stuff. So if you have AD&D mechanics or whatever, you can just slot it into Stars Without Number fairly easy. And yeah, this revised edition is compatible with all previous Stars Without Number content. If you have any of the old books, they work in this just fine. It's much more of just a cleaning up, uh, you know, a better book, uh, better layout, more clear rules, and just stuff Kevin Crawford has learned along the way. Yeah, generally it seems a much more polished version, much more polished edition, where all the rules are simpler, seem more fun, at least from what I've seen. And yeah, generally it looks like an improvement. Yeah. It sounds like you said it's a much more polished version of the game. Not Nicole, like, no! Oh, like, that's what you're using to mean it's better. That's hilarious. <laughs> Nicole, no, we're in Canada now. <laughs> What's that even mean? So, uh, to that end, um, what people might not know, or, I don't know, I don't know, listeners, I'm trying to explain the, the, the genre and the conceits. So, Stars Without Number takes place in a vast sci-fi galaxy that is largely unwritten, because the intent is you're supposed to kind of write it as you go. It's very compatible with, like, um, hex map type playthroughs. Uh, warp travel, the ability to travel faster than light, is an open technology that's available. Um, the, the main things about the setting as presented in the book is there was a highly advanced society before, there was a series of calamities that wiped it out, and now you basically have a disparate amount of planets and solar systems and uh, local groups, uh, like the, the star map term for a local group, that have hugely varied technology levels and uh, re remnants of the old empire that used to exist. So you have some planets that are, you know, you can have planets in the solar system that are basically still in, like, the Stone Age, because they were blown back to the Stone Age. And you have people that are still scraping by with, like, really advanced future tech. Um, it's kind of like that. And characters in this game are just 
people who have things they want to do. The game is very much geared for sandbox play, where the players have goals and wants, and that sort of generates the content for what they're doing in the game from session to session. Uh, you can definitely do having a big story if you want. You can do having a big arc. Uh, you can definitely even make them organically as the sandbox plays through. But for the most part, it is a lot like Godbound, where you kind of make your own story. And for Stars Without Numbers, one of the more classic stories is gain enough money to buy a ship with, you know, some debt involved, a mortgage. Then paying off the mortgage on the ship, then owning the ship, then using the ship to get wealthy. It's kind of like the Shadowrun uh, Skinner's Box loop, except the game intentionally says don't keep players starving. Uh, which is a very common thing other systems will do. Like, if you're familiar with D&D &D and, good lord, who isn't? Um, you might be used to GMs being given advice like, oh, give them magic items that will only satisfy their current level. Don't give them too much. Or, you know, make sure they always need more things later. Stars the Numbers goes the opposite direction. If the players pull off a job or manipulate events so that they get a really large payout for what their quote-unquote level is, you're supposed to kind of enable that, and they're supposed to, and the, the how they deal with their wealth is the story in of itself, because mm -hmm. wealth often isn't lasting, and wealth often begets more wealth and more problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, like even the easiest thing you could think of as a player, like, oh, how did we hijack a ship? That's worth a million dollars here. So that's a, you know already well beyond you know x amount of sessions yeah. that a player could get if they manage to pull it off and. The system is also structured that even if you have a lot of really good gear, the gear doesn't really influence your character sheet as much as raw leveling up. Yeah. So if you get a million bucks worth of gear, hey, that's really good, but, you know, don't get fucking shot. Yeah, there are only so many guns you can, you know, use at the same time, only so much armor you can put on yourself. Only so many drugs you can ramage your system, only so much cyberware you can put in. Yep. There, there's an upper limit on... There's basically no magic items. There aren't items that are all like, plus 5 HP or, you know, yeah. plus 80 to strength. It's not really a thing. Yeah. Uh, so this game, Black Star, uh, one of the things Stars Without Numbers enables <coughs> is creating your sector. A sector is an area of space that people loosely travel through. Uh, every hex in the sector is a star with planets around it, and you're able to use your faster than light drive to jump to those planets um, and it's hard to jump the planets like it's not life or death but if you don't know what you're doing you can very easily blow your ship up and knowing where planets are is half the battle you have to know where you're going before you make a jump uh, for a lot of it and if you're the first one to go through there and you have out-of-date star charts then it can be super lethal so a lot of the game is just discovering the entire sector you live in and moving through it we pre-fleshed out uh, a chunk of the sector. We made 17 planets among a series of star systems. And that's the known sector that the players have in their little nav computer. And a lot of the game is going out and finding other worlds. Because if you find other worlds, there's other, other adventures, other conflicts, other friends, other enemies you can come into. Yep. For this game specifically, uh, Nicole and Peter made characters who specifically want to go find new worlds because the star maps and the charts that they make and the guides um, are something that they like to distribute to people for A, money, and B, because it's nice to connect planets back to the greater community. Yep. Like it's a, almost as a mission of mercy kind of thing. But also money. <clears throat> like, come on. Man's got to eat, yeah. Mr. Leahy. Well, I was specifically inspired by Fading Sounds where he had that 
guild there that the backbone of the guild was having up-to-date star charts and having the keys to the stargates to, to for travel and using that as their backbone they were able to build up a whole faction quote-unquote on top of that so that's mm -hmm. what, for stuff what i was aiming for personally oh yeah and that's perfect that fits. <clears throat> um so yeah stars without numbers revised there's not a lot to say about it mostly because there's a there's a lot there it's a big thick book even if you don't get the deluxe edition it is a thick book, just rich with character options. Um, I think True AI are in the, de the, the Deluxe Edition. Yeah, the Deluxe Edition has True AI, has, uh, I think, Heroic characters, Magic, maybe? Yeah, hero heroic characters, which makes the game a little more like Godbound. So if you want to be more Flash Gordon than uh, Firefly, those are the rules there. Yeah. It introduces Magic, because OSRs, of course, our basic expert anyway, is related to D&D, duh. So if you want to introduce magic and sorcery and whatnot, the, the rules are right there, and they're actually pretty solid guidelines. Mm -hmm. So again, if you want to do Star Wars, there's that. Yeah. Uh, you also have mechs, which are <laughs> like, you know, like really small starship basically for fighting. Mechs are pretty fun. And I think the Society Generation, something like that, which is... Oh, I think Society uh, Generation's in the core book. Uh, the uh, point is, the, the, the core Stars Without Numbers book is worth getting. Uh, it's free, and I, I think it's going to be on drive-thru pretty soon. Uh, I'm almost certain you can get the release candidate from somewhere that isn't Deluxe, and I'd recommend the Deluxe Edition. It's uh, it's solid. It's uh, Even if you're not going to use it to run a sci-fi game with the mechanics, as with all Sci-Nominate products, the guides on how to build planets, how to generate <laughs> sector tags, how to do trade how to do ship stuff, and just how to enable a Firefly-style campaign where the players are freebooters trying to, like, earn a living for themselves. All of that stuff is system agnostic. It's not tied to mechanics. And for a free PDF, it's super useful. Yeah. Uh, it gives a lot of great guidelines on how to make a game like Firefly. I'm going to use Firefly as the standard here because that's kind of what these games are more about now. It used to be, before Firefly, it was all about Star Wars and being like on the edge of the Empire, or being like Traveler, and, and now yeah. Firefly's kind of the, the face of that. I mean, basically, like, if you want to be Han Solo before he met the other people, that sort of this... Yeah, you know, the boring stuff that the Han Solo movie is going to cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff, the, the, the stuff that, the questions that movie, the answers that movie will give to questions nobody would have ever asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is the premise, listeners. So I'll let Nicole and Peter talk about their characters. Who would like to go first? Okay, so I guess I'll start. My Cadus is Gaius Kailus. He's a true AI character from the Deluxe Edition. Uh, he's using a humanoid shell, though. So, uh, yeah, what is that? Well, as many true AI, he was created before the Scream, the major event that collapsed the society, because you don't have many societies that can build such sophisticated technology anymore. But, you know, his past was lost to time because AI tend to forget things over time. So, yeah, he was rediscovered at some point during a war. He was claimed as, you know, some uh, war spoils and taken to um, a government that took him in, the Praetorian Republic, which are basically Starship citizens. Starship Troopers Starship world. world. Yeah. Sorry. There are two Starship Troopers world, and both have have service guarantee citizenship. Yeah. Both of them believe in the only real truth that ever matters in any game, 
that violence is the ultimate place from which all authority derives from. <laughs> yep. So, you know, don't go there. <laughs> so, yeah, he, well, served there as a natured servant because, uh, you know, he was a spoil from war. And then, you know, he became a civilian and decided, hey, why don't go for a full, you know, tour of duty and become a civilian. You went from an object to a civilian, and then you went into the military and served your term and became a citizen. Yep. A shining example to all the indentures out there. Yep. Anyone can be like this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, even if you're a robot. Yeah. Courage, duty, honor. <laughs> it also bears pointing out that the sleeve that his AI is loaded into looks like Rudger Hauer from Blade Runner. You yep. know, Roy Batty? Yep. It's amazing. Yeah, I said that's a pretty good look for a, you know, shell. So yeah, he looks Can't like... Can't go wrong with Rudger Hauer. He looks like Roy Batty, you know, platonic blonde, short hair, you know, blue eyes and all that stuff. There's a non-zero chance that the person that designed that sleeve based it off of the movie Blade Runner, like, in-universe. Absolutely. There's a non-zero chance that occurred. And, like, people now don't know, but, like, you know, they're like, oh, well, based off of this soldier template, and the soldier template that the, that the sleeve manufacturer got it from, got it from someone who, you know, designed all the work for it, and they got it from someone who was an artist guy, and the artist guy just based off Roy Batty, like... Yeah. Non-zero chance. Yeah, because this is the year 3200-ish, roughly at least by Vanilla Goldman's uh, Saddle of Number Standards. Oh, God, man. Sword <laughs> gifts. Sword <laughs> gifts. So, yeah. This is technically the future of our world. Of space. Yeah. Yeah. He tends to dress in black, you know, his military uniform and stuff like that. He sort of likes that look. Black shirts, you know, dress pants, uh, long black military boots and yeah that's roughly him uh my character is um hickson is his first name he is a psychic uh, he grew up on a planet who doesn't like psychics so uh he was ponular ponular uh he was taken away from his planet by a uh religious sect who basically believe that if you understand enough about the science and math and patterns of the universe, you'll unlock basically being able to manipulate the like structure of the universe kind of thing uh, and like gain enlightenment. Uh, and they believe that being psychic indicates that someone's mind has basically evolved to more readily accept that, and that's why they have the psychic powers. They can uh, relate to the base math of the universe essentially. Um, that's why his, my character is, uh, going out and basically mapping as much as he can, as well as taking note of different cultures and different times and stuff, because that's also part of the pattern. Um, so yeah, he was taken away from his home world to a different planet, which is called... The Hall Installation, was it? Yeah, was taken to the Hall Installation, and, uh, raised there, raised in the religion, and, uh, taught everything he knew. He's now a cartographer of that religion, which is what his part of the religion does, goes out and maps shit. Um, yeah, he wears his like religious clothes, which I haven't have fully defined quite yet. I think I'm gonna base it vaguely on Bajoran religious clothing actually without the horrible patterns on the fabrics. Um, 
yeah. Um, it was also important that he also served the duty oh, yeah, that's in the Republic. <laughs> yeah. Because, hey, you're a psychic healer. Might as well get your hours in as a doctor. Exactly. So learn to be a real doctor. Yeah, my um, my type of psychic power I currently have is the specifically the healing type, which is super valuable. Biopsionics. Um, so I served in the uh, Praetorian Republic military along with Gaius. Gaius, um, which actually happens to be the other. Uh, planet in the same solar system as my home planet. From planet Bellator. Yeah, from Be Bellator. Uh, so I'm now a, I've served in the military as the doctor specifically. I didn't go into combat or anything, God no. Um, yeah, I served in the military, uh, got, gained full citizenship status, and now myself, uh, Hickson, who is male, yeah. in case I didn't clarify that. I said he a bunch of times, probably it's <laughs> clear. Um, as well as uh, Ga Gaius. Uh, are now serving aboard the other ship. Yes. Yeah, so psychics and an AI. Yes. As a note, the difference between a true AI and a VI, VIs are a type of character you can play in the game. They're robots, they're machines. VIs are artificial constructs that are basically stuck in the body they're built in. Like, that's who they are. So you can be, like, an android, you can be a war machine, you can be a drone, or you can even be, like, a car or a motorcycle and be a person. Uh, a true AI is a lich. Like, if you know D&D, that's what a true AI is. It's a magic rock that's a complex AI core, about the size of your fist, and the AI can split it in half and huck the other half somewhere secret, somewhere safe, and then slot the other, the, the half that they're living in, into a body, and if they die, they can have that blow up, and then their consciousness immediately goes to the half that they snuck away somewhere, and it regrows into a full thing. And then I was gonna ask, I was gonna ask if it regrows, or do they have to keep diminishing themselves? It takes about a month for it to fully repop back. Okay. And then they split again and hide it again. Yeah. Yep. So he's currently in the Rudger Hauer body, but if he really wanted, he could pull himself out of it, because he's a rock that lives in a rock, his yep. phylactery. And they're called phylacteries, I think, yep. even. Uh, and he can just socket that into a ship, a car, whatever has an AI housing in it. Yep. Uh, so psychics get use the effort system from Godbound uh, and have fucking magic powers. Yes. And Shrey also use the effort system, but for oh, processing. And, and they have and their talents or their their uh, what are they called? Their gifts are insane. Uh... Those things are called routines. Yeah, they're gifts from Godbound, and they're astounding. <laughs> well, yeah, you start with hacking stuff and getting your know, computer-related things. In the end, you can teleport, predict like your know, future, whatever. Predict the future, yeah. instant yourself in thousands of bodies, and fight as an army. Yeah, that's apart from that long. last one, that's also something psychics can do. Not the splitting the body part, but the teleporting and the psych yeah. and the no. future vision. Yeah. So. <laughs> The game is kind of lethal. I think Nicole has two hit points, and Peter, what would he have? He has one, one hit point. But luckily, if I commit my processing power to my shell, I get plus five hit points. <laughs> Hooray! Six hit points! <laughs> so two and one hit points. So this is a very different world than Godbound. <laughs> yeah. Like, you roll 1d6... Um, plus constitution modifier. Plus your constitution modifier. I rolled first, and I got... Two hit points. I was like, oh my god, that's so low. I'm going to die so fast. <laughs> and then Peter rolled and we're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, 
uh, I guess coming back to the VI versus AI thing, if you want to play a VI, you're basically playing a normal character type. You could be a VI warrior, a VI specialist, maybe even a yeah. VI psychic. A VI yeah. is tre treated basically like a alien race. So there, you have the option to be humans, because humans are the 90%. But you can be an alien. An alien can be a human that's been heavily G-modded to unrecognizability, or it can just be like an actual alien. And this game has things called foci, which are the equivalent of... Um, basically gifts... Like perks from Fallout. Perks from Fallout, gifts from Godbound. They're basically things that you get every couple of levels and they let you radically uh, enhance how your character works. So, one of them's called Ironhide. I was talking about that today on a yep. Discord. And Ironhide, if you take it, automatically gives you AC as if you're wearing heavy armor. Just in every situation. Nice. Um, and if you take it again, it, it may, treats you as if you're always in power armor. Even if you're not, which means that means that primitive weapons and unarmed attacks can't hurt you. Oh, I forgot about that. Yep. Oh, Holy no. shit! <laughs> I don't know. Um... Um, Peter has one for being a starfarer, and that means he's really good at being a pilot. Yeah. And really good. <laughs> really good. So you get one at when you're at first level, and you can spend that to buy. And there are rules for it to be an alien. To it gives you perks that are like racial based for being an alien. Yep. Yeah. And a VI is the same way. You basically spend one. You're you're starting foci to be a artificial person. Yeah, that's it. It's it's not a huge cost. It's yeah. the same as just being an alien. Yeah, it's but, a neat option. And and you can also uh, yeah, then you can be any of the other classes. Like you can yeah. even be psychic, depending on if your fiction yeah. of your game allows for it or whatever. Yeah. Whereas uh, true AIs are different. Yeah, true AIs are a class on their own, so it's hard to be a true AI and something else because so much of your Things take out by being through AI. Mm -hmm. You can be a partial class, partial through AI, partial something else, but you know that's like an adventure class where you take from two classes. That's so weird. You're a partially true. I guess that just means that you're you are a true AI. It's just that you're not as good at it. I mean, in the universe lore, there are levels of being AI. You can be a kind of like dumber AI technically, and so on. And oh, okay. Okay, so like, how do you, know, you be the half of a robot? <laughs> no, I mean, you're not as committed to your processing, your core routines, and so on. So you look like your power slower, but you can do something else as well. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. And yeah, same same with psychics too. Yep. As an actual psychic, I can buy any of the psychic powers, but then partial psychics can buy only one of the psychic branches. Yep. And then whatever else their stuff is. Yeah. So, I guess we're about to talk about this starship we were on. Yes! So, uh, you guys, because you don't have a ship yet, and you have only what's on your character sheet to your name, no handouts, no about, evil government handouts. About two dozen credits between us and gear. Yeah. Um, you guys are living on a ship right now, a very small free merchant class vessel. Free merchant is basically the adventurer class of ship. Yep. It's big enough to get you the gear and cargo space you want, but small enough to be affordable. <laughs> um, Quote unquote. Yeah, right? Half a million later for just the basic haul. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, this free merchant class vessel um, has three other crew members who, you know, basically are on it. You guys work on it, and the five of you together are doing stuff missions, runs, trade routes, smuggling to make a living. And eventually, Nicole and Peter will hopefully make and save enough to be able to put a down payment down on their own ship, and then they can flip these NPCs off and leave. 
Well, so preferably not flip them off. You don't want to burn bridges you may need to cross again. Jeff Bridges. <laughs> so what's the name of the ship? The name of the ship is the... LXA Space Maggot. Yes, the LXA Space Maggot. It originally was built on a planet called Luxuria. Uh, and it looks like a large, ugly ship that is covered in fossilized insect hull plating. Uh, Luxuria was a planet, or it still is, but it was a planet um, in this sector that had a orbiting critter that during... Giant the, space bug. I'm, yeah, <laughs> it had an orbiting critter, basically. And during the calamity after the scream, the scream being the thing that shut down hypertech everywhere for a while, it fell out of orbit and crashed onto the planet and didn't destroy it, but it blew up the atmosphere and killed 90% of the population. So it's an Earth-like planet with a big enough to have been a small moon, kind of like the proto-thing that hit Earth and made our moon, mm -hmm. uh, smashed into it, making a crater, and it's a giant fossilized space-born life form that's long dead. And the atmosphere that it collected as it was crashing down is basically stuck around it while the rest of the atmosphere is gone from the planet. So people live in the crater of this critter, and their whole society is dying out. Yep. They've given up. <laughs> yeah. The Space Maggot used to be a cargo ship that took supplies from other planets to Luxuria to, like, just give get people basic supplies because there's not much on the planet anymore. Yep. Uh, and it's covered in that chitin because it's a cheap way to plate something. And that plating is basically as good as Starship plating. Yep. So it's like a, you know, ovoid or egg-shipped, like, ugly cargo vessel covered in bug plates and machinery and, like, blinking lights and stuff. <laughs> uh, just start the numbers side of things. The captain is Jonas Glauser. He is middle-aged. He is going into his older years. He used to be a cargo hauler. Um, he owns the Space Maggot. The Space Maggot's been in his family into one extent or another for like five generations, and it's an oldest shit ship. Also from Luxuria, of course. Yeah, it's a Luxurian vessel. Like he's from Luxuria, the ship's from Luxuria. Yeah. That's why it looks like the way it does. Uh, but yeah, he inherited it and uses it to pay off his various debts he accrued throughout his life. Um, it, got, it was basically an inheritance he got. Hmm. Uh, that means that his portion of the money doesn't go towards the ship. I mean, it does. It goes towards the maintenance. Yeah, but... And debt. Yeah, so his debt. <laughs> he doesn't pay. He doesn't have to pay off the ship, but he doesn't have to pay off. Well, his it might be debts. collateral. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, middle-aged, he wants to make enough money to retire and not have to uh, live this life anymore. And his main character trait is he's deceitful. <laughs> After that, there's Monica Vomlow. Uh, she is from a planet called Nocturnus. <laughs> Nocturnus has the ta has two tags. Night World, because it's about... It, it's as far out as a planet like Pluto from its sun, which means it doesn't really get light, so it's in constant night, but various environmental factors meant it had an atmosphere and a biome. Uh, and also, technology used to be on there to make it more livable, and that's all since gone, so the planet's kind of, host kind, kind of hostile. It doesn't have a biosphere anymore. Like, it has air, but... There's no animals or plant life anymore. The other take it has is that it's a zombie world. <laughs> Anyone who dies on the planet comes back as the walking dead. There are no bacteria or viruses or microbe life that eat anything on the planet because the bio biosphere died. So the zombies, and it's cold, and the atmosphere's thin. So the zombies are horrifically well-preserved and basically don't degrade. Like, degradation is in the span of large amounts of decades as opposed to days, like it would be in, you know, a real planet. 
So the entire planet is built out of spires and connecting tunnels and large skyscrapers. And you have a lot of people with bullet-based rifles shooting zombies in the head. Because if you die, you just come back as a zombie and go on a killing spree. It doesn't last outside the planet's biosphere. There's something wrong with the planet that causes this, and it doesn't work outside of it. Which, once again, is a very important distinction to make, because this woman is from Nocturnus. So, that the first sickly. thing I asked when I found out she was from Nocturnus is if that zombie thing is a thing in the people, or if it's from the planet. Important distinction. Because <laughs> she's also sick. Yeah, she has genetic illnesses. It's not quite that important. But she is the ship's muscle. She's a old. She's a young person. She's was trained as a guardsman. She's good with a gun and sniping, and she's here to bankroll herself a mercenary company back on the planet because mercenary companies are profitable on Nocturnus. Because you send them in to murder zombies and clear an area for someone who has money, and then they go to that area and loot it for money, and then you get money and money. <laughs> That's nice. Her main character trait is she's fairly determined. She She's a pull-herself-up-by-her-bootstraps kind of gal. <laughs> and the last crew member, other than the two PCs, is Ten Fixer Roberts Five. He's from a planet called Hukal, a planet that is an entire society based on resolving its political and social issues through gladiator matches, but it also only uses robots for gladiator matches, specifically sapient robots. It... Who call mass produces VI-based uh, life forms, like artificial intelligence robots and androids, and makes them fight in gladiator rings, and different companies and different political parties sponsor them and pay up to have them have good weaponry and equipment so that they can win the tournaments to win the disputes. It's this whole thing. Robot sports. Yeah, he serves as uh, basically another engineer, and he's a scout. Like, he's good at raiding tombs and old pre-tech installations to get parts and stuff. He was basically a medic on Hukal for the other gladiators. Um, he doesn't have anything wrong with him. He doesn't have debt. He's not sick. He just left. He won his freedom. Uh, he's only like 10 years old. He used to be a gladiator and wants to leave that lifestyle behind. He's not a big fan of violence. And his main trait is he's just, you know, protective of his crew. Because, you know, they're, they're enabling him to have a better life. A non-violent life. That's nice of him. And that's the LXA space maggot. Here's the only thing left to like, explain. Why do we call this game Black Star? Oh. Uh, so in the center of the sector, there is a black hole uh, called El the Elder Guard Singularity. And it's in the center of the sector map, and it affects most of the hexes around it. Uh, it's a big, angry, old black hole. And well within its event horizon, there's actually an old pre-technology um, like satellite installation with windows. And there seems to be people in there. And they repeat themselves at different intervals. Like, they're stuck in a time loop that's very inconsistent. And people with scanning equipment kind of view them and watch their days and can't quite understand what they're doing because it's hard to track what people are doing just by looking at them go through windows. But, you know, most people have created culture and mythos around it. Uh, I specifically call the game The Black Star off of David Bowie's posthumous album, Black Star, <laughs> which includes the final uh, cameo of Major Tom from Space Odyssey. <laughs> um, also, uh, just to clarify for those that haven't read the cellular numbers, Pre-Tech is a, the general describes technology that was created before the screen, the great calamity that you know, made the world as it is. We also have post-tech, which is the technology that was created after it, which is lower tier than a pre-tech. Mm -hmm. 
Those terms might come up a lot in the game, so yeah. Those good expressions. We'll uh, we'll be sure to clarify. That was a half hour introduction. Good intro. Told you should have done the intro. <laughs> should we? We can just continue. Yeah, yeah let's just continue. Like we've done a lot of description for our characters and stuff. Yep. I didn't describe what my character really looked like because I forgot, but whatever. Mm. Yeah, there's no reason to break this into two episodes. Okay. Okay, so actually this is an intro and I'll probably do some editing uh, that you will notice or not notice. This will probably still be here, listeners. <laughs> so the last thing we're going to talk about before this intro ends, because this is an intro, not episode one, uh, is that Peter and I backed at the, or and, and Nicole too, because Nicole and I's money are the same, backed at the galactic <laughs> overmind level, uh, which means we're better than you, objectively. <laughs> no, it's basically, hey, we know that Kevin Crawford creates some quality things we've done got bounced to death basically to death so and yeah we wanted to try several numbers for a while so like, hey why not just split a bit help support the you know this i i'm really satisfied with the collected over my package because i got all the pdfs for all of stars without numbers oh, on yeah. my account the omnibus and I'm, I'll fucking get to the book, but I got. I think. I think I back to the level where he's gonna actually ship me a hard copy of the deluxe book. I think I'm gonna actually get. A, a Probably, book. yeah. Yeah, we're gonna get a book eventually from Kevin Crawford. That's all. Like, Here is the Stars Without Numbers deluxe edition book. And it's like, look, a book. Yeah. <laughs> but because we backed at such a high tier, there's another thing we got, which is called the Galactic Omnibus. It is a phone book, thick book that is. Literally every Star Split Numbers book Kevin Crawford ever made in a book. Yeah. Like, if I were to take this into the woods and never go on the internet again, we could run forever because it's everything. Although it's it's everything in a book. Well, yeah, except for the fucking deluxe, but that's not important. <laughs> it's this big, hateful, heavy reference book. I. It's on our bookshelf. I don't. I'm never gonna open it. It's amazing. I love we have, it. We have the PDFs. I mean, yeah. I have the PDFs. I don't want to ever hurt its spine or its interior. I, I own it. I'm never gonna open it. I love <laughs> it. I spent. It costs a lot to print. <laughs> well, I, I have mean, it. So yeah, I guess this is our way of saying, hey, support Kevin Crawford. He's making some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Like, everything we've everything we backed God down at the max tier too. Yeah, like everything we played of Kevin Crawford so far has been really good. His books are just good to read too. Yeah, like like just reading Godbound or the Incalia book or Stars Without Numbers, like any of that stuff. Like Sons of Gold is great for understanding how yeah. economics work for being like a trader and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, his naval book, um, shit, what was the naval book called? Not Starvation Cheap. The Skyward other Steel. Skyward Steel. It's about how you exist in a military navy, nice. and it just. It's good, because if I read that, I can be like, oh, this is how NPCs that are from a military navy are going to be like. That's how it works. That's how This is how officers are. This is how enlisted men are. This is how uh, rationing works and salvaging works. You actually get paid if you salvage a ship. You get paid shares. Nice. Yeah, I like how he releases that kind of stuff, but also, and there's like lots of also fluff for the different settings. Like most of it's just but fluff. But when you're reading the actual mechanics, it, like, I'm going to compare this to Exalted. Oh. When we were, when I was reading the Exalted Charms, what they actually do was obfuscated with like a paragraph of fluff, and like you had to like pick through it to figure out what the charm actually did. When you're going through like the Godbound or Stars Without Numbers, 
it tells you straight up, this is what it does. It'll have like a little bit of like fluff or whatever at the beginning, and then it'll tell you, this is what the power does. Yeah. Very nicely laid out, and you don't have to go searching for it. <laughs> it's very succinct, but it's also, it's not dry. Like, no, not at all. It's actually like, pretty enjoyable the, to like Economics are boring. People, a lot of people don't like economics, but reading Sons of Gold, super fun, super interesting. It, it, it's written in a way, and it's presented in a way that's evocative. You're like, yeah, I can do stuff with this. I want to do stuff with this. <laughs> Same with uh, Starvation Cheap, which is an entire book on how to form your own space mercenary company, like a band of pirate reavers that like works like mercenaries. It's like, here's how you get money. Here's how you pay your people. Here's how you get notoriety. Here's how you're respected. Like, here's how you do it. Yeah. Here's how crusades work. Here's how resources work. Here's different tactics a mercenary company would use. And you're like, oh, neat. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's useful. So There's a bunch of other books like that, yeah. too. There's so many. So do now get the second edition when it comes out and then look through the supplement materials because they're pretty good if this is the type of game you want to do. If you want to do a merchant campaign, get Sons of Gold. If you want to do Naval, do Skyward Steel, etc, etc. Yeah, like um, even for... A lot of people play a lot of other sci-fi games. Like people, I'm sure, still play Fading Suns as well as the, the Farscape RPG, which I... Or not Farscape, but... Damn, the Firefly RPG. <laughs> um, Star Wars is making a comeback. Like, there's that new one that came out with the special dice, but I think the licensing got lost for that. I don't know how that works. But if you're interested in those kinds of sci-fi games, um, all of these books are pretty good resources just to thumb through. Like, just to take a look at ideas for how to add more complications and story content to the campaign. Yep. Um... Or even generating the planets and... Yeah, planet generation. Like, that's just in the free version of Stars Without Numbers Revised, where it's just like, hey, here's how you generate a planet. And there's a bunch of online tools. Uh, Sectors Without Numbers is amazing, and you should check it out, as well as the other one that gives you a little wiki, but I don't remember the name. If you look around the Stars Without Numbers community, you'll find it. <laughs> um, what we're saying is there's a lot of resources for running games, even if you're turned off by the basic expert system that is the uh, skeleton the mechanics yeah. um, it's just neat so yeah there we go uh, that wraps up the intro that is was totally intended to be an intro from the beginning uh, I am Devin the GM Nicole and Peter and this is sponsored by nobody signing off mm -hmm.